Welcome to the Stop Ruining My Childhood podcast. A sometimes nostalgic, sometimes cynical look back at pop culture. Join us as we revisit movies, cartoons, and live-action TV of the 80s and 90s and ask the question... Hey, for the second season, does this hold up or did I just ruin my childhood? My name is Megan. And I'm Steve. And it is our second season. So we are back after a little bit of hiatus for Christmas break. And today we are talking about one of the movies that won the game in our 50th Celebration Spectacular. Yes, this is a Remy winner. Yes. The Remys were the Reminiscent Awards. And if you haven't listened to the 50th episode extravaganza, I think we called it, you can go back and listen to that at any time. All links to listen are on our website, StopRuiningMyChildhood.com. So this is the winner of Best Date Night Movie, and that is... The Princess Bride. The Princess Bride, which I picked as my Best Date Night Movie because, first, it has everything. As Peter Falk explains to Fred Savage... There is kissing, but there's action, there's adventure, there's fantasy, there's humor. Also, because if you don't like this movie, I don't want to date you. <laughs> <laughs> That's an interesting way to handle things. It's a litmus test. Do you find it funny? Do you not find it funny? Do you, you know what I'm saying? Who doesn't find The Princess Bride funny? Th- that I, Somebody I don't want to date. Yeah. That's why I married you. Somebody I don't want humanity in. <laughs> All right, before we get to our memories of the movie and fun facts and history, we have our unsponsored snack review. Yes, and Princess Bride is indeed a kissing book, so we are doing Hershey's Kisses. Hershey's Kisses. Still no Hershey's sponsorship, but we're waiting. Well... Who's to say? We're recording this early. Maybe we can get it in time. That's right. (laughs) Hershey's started with Milton Hershey, who actually was an apprentice to a confectioner in 1873. 1873? Mm-hmm. It's a long time ago. He started um, to make caramels. Then... In 1893, 20 years after start, he's been doing caramels for 20 years. Okay? Mm Mm-hmm. He goes to the World's Columbian Exposition in Chicago. He sells his caramel company for a million dollars, which would be like like almost 40 million today. Yep. And he just does chocolate. And people are like, Milton, why would you do this? And he says, caramels are a fad. But chocolate is a permanent thing. Okay. <laughs> All right, then. So he built the processing plant a couple years later. And then um, we actually didn't get the Hershey's Kiss until 1907. So about 30 years later. Yeah. Um, and when they were first introduced, they were hand wrapped, which took and that must take really a long really time. long time, yeah. Yes, and then, so that was 1907 to 1921. Then they invented a machine to add the printed paper plume and the aluminum foil. So that little flag thing is called a plume. 
So it took them 14 years of wrapping it by hand to be like, this is nonsense. Yeah. We need to build a machine for this. Yeah, exactly. And the first plume said Hershey's on it to distinguish them from competitors. Yeah. They're called kisses because of the way the machine comes down and kisses. The conveyor belt? The conveyor belt, yeah. Um, And another interesting fact about this is they were produced from 1907 till 1942. And then they stopped production for five years. Can you guess why? The war. The war, and people needed aluminum. Oh, yeah. For the war for the effort. Foil. Yep. And they were making a lot of Hershey bars during the war, because they were putting those in, like, yes. rations and stuff. That's what I was just going to say. They retooled the Kisses production equipment to produce chocolate D-rations for the mil- U.S. military. So they did that for six years until just after World War II, um, and then they brought them back into production, and then they started putting Hershey's uh on the or i'm sorry um they added kisses to the plume gotcha and then in the 90s kisses alone was on the plume and um and not hershey's anymore because everybody kind of knew who it was oh okay so those are some fun facts do you what do you what is your favorite type of kiss in terms of hershey's (laughs) just to distinguish just 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 to make sure that we're talking about the same thing. Because my favorite are hugs. Really? Yeah, I love... I could eat an entire bag of hugs, like, in one go. I think there's a kind of Hershey's Kiss that has crunch in it. Yeah. You know, like a crunch bar almost? hmm And I like that. The hugs, if you haven't had those, they're the milk chocolate wrapped in white chocolate like stripes i also they have a special one for christmas time that's hot cocoa yeah and it has like a marshmallow flavored center in it oh they have a peppermint one too oh yeah it's like a candy cane i don't do mint i know you don't and i don't like it a lot but i kind of like that one at christmas time especially yeah it's okay yeah so what are you gonna rate um we are we are Rating Princess Bride, if you haven't been with us before for all of season one, we encourage you to go back and listen to it when you're done with this episode. But we always pick something random to rate on, but it's it's kind of like rating on stars, right? Yeah. Um. So one out of five for the snack, one out of ten for the movie or TV show. So one out, out of, of five masks because they're going to be terribly fashionable. <laughs> That's true. It's a good line for the princess, right? Yeah. I was going to say I cake powder, but no. that's all right. All right. Out of masks, um, I was, or crowns, but out of masks, um, one out of five for regular Hershey Kisses. I'm going to give it a four. I'm going to give it a four, too, and this is why. Hershey chocolate, you know, we went there on our honeymoon. We mm-hmm. did a big road trip, and we ended up going to Hershey as part of that. Um, so just to be clear, it's not like we love candy so much that we only went to Hershey's. But That's it. We just went to Hershey's factory for our whole they, honeymoon. <laughs> that's all we did. And we just ate candy the whole time. They process their chocolate by, um, they like ferment it somehow. And because of that, it burns my throat a little bit. And it's also, a lot of people from Europe think that American chocolate tastes a little bit like vomit. And they're talking about Hershey's specifically. Um, and it's because of the, the process that they put the cocoa beans through, which is really unique to them. So we're kind of used to it here, but they, they don't, they're not as used to it in Europe. So four, four masks, masks out, out of five. five. Four out of five masks for Hershey's Kisses. Pretty good. I would have given it a five if it was a hug. 
or a hot cocoa. Mm, I don't know. <laughs> Definitely. I would give it a four because it's too little. Oh, but it's a fast snack, though. Yeah, I don't But know. not really, I guess, if you have to unwrap a bunch of them, right? That's true. All right. So, let's get into The Princess Bride. Steve, can you just give a brief overview for anybody who has been living under a rock and has never seen The Princess Bride before? Sure. Princess Bride, <clears throat> the movie is actually about a grandfather reading a bedtime story kind of to his grandson Mm -hmm. and that story is really so this is a story within a story that story is all about um, a girl named buttercup who falls in love with a farm boy and then he goes off to make his way in the world and dies and so five years go by and she's gonna marry a prince Um, and it's at that point that she is kidnapped by a group of thieves and kidnappers um, and she's rescued by a man in black um, who ends up being Wesley, the farm boy she'd fallen in love with. And they go through a number of adventures and Wesley is um, captured and she's taken back to the crown. And then Wesley and his group of thieves that try to kidnap her earlier end up having to rescue her again. And it's a very fantasy adventure kind of story. Yeah. There's a lot of great um, comedy in it. There's a lot of good actors. And it's just really a cult kind of following film. Um, And then, of course, at the end, everyone lives happily ever after. Yeah, that's a good... I think that's a pretty good summary of it. Yeah. Um, So... In terms of our, our history and fun facts, I know you've read the book, too, and we could kind of get into some of that in our memories. But the book was originally published in 1973 by William Goldman, who also wrote um, a couple of other movies and books as well. Mm-hmm. Um, the movie wasn't done until 1987, so it took a while for this to be produced. Um, but Goldman also, before this, was most famous for his screenplays, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. And he also wrote the screenplay for All the President's Men, the story about um, the two reporters who broke the Whitewater. Yes. The, the, I'm sorry, who broke the Watergate story. Yes, yep. Um, Woodward and Bernstein, yep. yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, but now he's really most known known for this so in trying to get this made they went through a number of different like iterations right and in the 70s when they tried to make it they originally were looking at arnold schwarzenegger possibly to play fezzik and danny devito to play the sicilian vicini okay so it would have been a totally different feel for the movie i think um, by the time the movie was actually made, they were a little bit too expensive to try to hire them. So so they didn't. Uh, and so they didn't end up doing that. But over 500 women were auditioned for the role of Buttercup. Courtney Cox, Meg Ryan, Uma Thurman. But also, and I find this kind of odd, Whoopi Goldberg? Because Buttercup is really... Whoopi Goldberg can be a good actress, but Buttercup is really... Like, beautiful. Right. You know? Um, So, some of the differences... uh, But he also offered Mandy Patinkin any role he wanted. 
Oh, nice. He was a huge fan of Manny <clears throat> Patinkin, and he had also worked, Christopher Guest plays uh, the Count. Yep. Which I didn't realize until I started doing the research for this. Christopher Guest is really more known for um, his improvisational movies that he's done, like Waiting for Guffman and things like that, and, and also- This wh- is Spinal Tap. Which he right? did with Rob Reiner. Yeah. And but he really can. He's almost a chameleon actor. Hundred percent. He looks different in almost every. He movie looks he's so in. different in this. Um, and so, so that's kind of some of the things that came together for the cast. They they decided on Andre the Giant based on his physical, you know, appearance that he looked the physic is supposed to be like a giant. Right. Yep. And um, <laughs> Rob Reiner brings him into audition and he. He he leaves and Rob Reiner turns to his like assistants as was and was like, "We need that guy for the part, but you can't understand anything he's saying. You no. couldn't understand his lies at all." So he read them out phonetically, the way he wanted them read. Yeah, and recorded it. And Andre the Giant listened to recording, and that's how he memorized his lines. Oh, okay, which is kind of it, it's kind of a neat way to you know work with your actors that way for somebody who has English not as their first language right but um the other thing is that there are a lot of differences here from the book in my opinion william golding is the one who he wrote the screenplay as well and adapted it and apparently he tried they invited him to come on set and he was so nervous that it wouldn't be made the right way that they had to kick him off set. <laughs> there's a point where um, Buttercup's dress catches on fire and he was like, oh, no, she's on fire. And they were like, well, you you wrote the scene. Yeah. You know what's going to happen here. Um, they cut especially a lot out from the beginning. So in the book, first of all. I'm glad that they cut this part because there's a whole prologue about initially it's supposed to be that William Golding found this book um, that his dad had read to him when he was sick as a kid. He gives it to his son. His son doesn't want to read it. He keeps encouraging his son to read it. He says to his wife, how come he doesn't want to read this great book? And she's like, have you seen the book? It sucks. And then he realizes that his dad had only read him the good parts. Gotcha. And so then the joke throughout the book is that it's expurgated where it means you're deleting things, right? Right. So he's deleting the bad parts and then he'll write a summary of what happened. Now, I want to tell you. That there are multiple people on Amazon who have reviewed this book because I was looking for a um like a an edition with illustrations right and I'm looking at the reviews and I'm like oh people don't know that that's part it's satire right people don't get that that's part of the joke they're like thank goodness for William Golding who uh, who fixed this version of this classic tale and you're like he wrote this book yeah. Yeah, Morgan Stern is not a person. It's not a real person, and it's so funny to me. And it's all about Florin. Like, at this point, he wrote 400 pages about Florentine history, but it's not a real country. Right. So I don't... So, but he actually came up with the title because his he said to his daughters for their bedtime story, what do you want a story about? And one said a princess and one said a bride. And he goes, well, there's the title. That's I'm going to write you guys a book. Yeah. So he kind of wrote it for them. But um, they cut out that whole prologue about finding the book, realizing that it was a bridge, blah, blah, blah. They also cut some of my favorite parts of the book are hysterically funny of the way that 
Buttercup is the most beautiful woman in the world and they go through the other 10 most beautiful people and how she becomes number one. <laughs> one of them um, is having an affair with, she's a maid and she's having an affair with the, the master of the house. So the mistress of the house starts leaving chocolates out for her all over so that mm. she'll, she'll plump up a little yeah. bit. One of them, um, I forget, like stresses out too much and worries about being beautiful and gets all these wrinkles. Mm. So he goes through all of that. And then he, uh, and then Buttercup is like number two. And then Wesley dies and she refuses to eat or do anything. And when she emerges, all of her baby fat is gone and she, her grief has like aged her into an even more beautiful woman basically ah, okay she goes from being a girl to being a woman they also cut out a bunch of stuff about how prince hubberdink's other fiancés and the other prospects and how one of them had like a club toe and one of them her obsession is hats and Again, it's like taken out or, or abridged. That right. They, they, they talk about how her packing up for 20 pages, all these hats and shoes. Um, so it's got a lot of funny bit. They also never explain the torture chamber that Wesley is in. In the book, it, Humperdinck is a great hunter. So these are all of the prey who are mostly predators that he's trying to hunt. And they've never had somebody at the ground level or anything at the ground level. He's been waiting. Gotcha. So the top levels are like birds of prey. And then it is like things that like a vicious dog might be at like level two. And then mm -hmm. a bear might be at level three. So it goes all the way down to 10. Mm -hmm. And they've never had anything before in the 10th level. And that's where he ends up putting Wesley. So there, there are some details like that. But for the most part, the rest of it really does follow the story. When you're adapting something... You're always going to take stuff out. But to me, it's a very good adaptation. Unlike like some of the Harry Potter movies, if you watch those and you haven't read the book, I've known a number of people who are like, what the heck is going on here? And I don't think you get that with this movie, right? right? Um, so a couple of other fun facts. When um, Mandy Patinkin goes after Count Rugen, right, as Inigo, and he um, was imagining his father had passed and hit cancer from cancer. So he was imagining that he was like killing the, the cancer. And apparently he accidentally did kind of poke Christopher guest a little bit too hard. With it. Um, and also there's a part where Christopher guest thunks, uh, Wesley on the head with a sword yeah. and knocks him out. And apparently it really did knock him out and he had to go, he woke up in the <laughs> hospital and I guess, um, that's just method acting right there. Yeah, so. exactly. That's just taking it to the nth level. The other thing is that the other injury that was sustained was Mandy Patinkin himself who played Indigo. He bruised the muscles on his ribs because he ha was holding in his laughter during the scenes with Billy Crystal. <laughs> And apparently they filmed all of Billy Crystal and Carol Kane in one day. And it was like an eight hour shoot. And Billy Crystal never repeated a line. Like he was just improving like crazy. He and Carol Kane spent time together before doing the scenes. Mm -hmm. And they came up with all these backstories for their characters because they've been married a hundred years. Right. So that's how they have like such that like 
married 100 years dynamic, yeah. basically. And Rob Reiner had to leave set because he kept laughing out loud during Billy Crystal's lines. So he had to leave set a couple of times. Um, I've watched this movie with the commentary on, and Rob Reiner... <laughs> was do before he passed did the director's commentary right and he was like all right now what's coming up is one of the three best sword fights ever put on film yeah <laughs> for the fight between inigo and wesley and he's like one of the other three best is later on in this movie and then i guess one of the other three was with errol flynn of course who right. a lot of that was based on but it is a great um a sword fight um they also have a nod to um, Spinal Tap. Um, there is a a uh, poster in Fred Savage's bedroom, the grandson's bedroom. Okay. Um, because he wanted this guy, Mark Knopfler, to do the music. And he said, I'll do the job, but only if you put in a reference to Spinal Tap. Now, I feel like it's a missed opportunity because Wesley is hooked up to a machine and they put it up to 30, but I think it would have been funnier if they were like, not to 11. Right. Um, and then my last thing, Rob Reiner once uh, met John Gotti, the mobster. Yes. And six of his guys outside a New York restaurant. And the mobster looked at him and said, you killed my father, prepare to die. And then burst out in laughter. <laughs> and I'm sure that like Rob Reiner was apparently like, you know, kind of freaking out freaking out about that so um yeah so that's some fun facts i mean there's because this movie it did oh you know we're gonna get into box office yes. later but um there because it's become such a cult classic there really are i mean i have like probably 50 more things that i found you know about right different different things but um yeah that's that's kind of it for for fun facts and history unless do you want to add some no, no, that's I think okay. I think you hit it pretty so good. So we're gonna take our break here and when we come back, we are going to talk about our memories of the movie and then we'll get into our full review and recap. Steve, I found a bunch of shows on streaming networks that we don't have. That's nice, Megan, but you know, we work on a budget, and I'm still waiting for snack companies to sponsor us. So unless you can find a new way to bring in sponsorship, our choices in viewing are limited. YouTube is what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so that's why I set up our page on Patreon. People can help support our show and get exclusive access to content. What about all those bonus episodes we got hanging around? So our old bonus episodes are going to go up. And then we're going to have new bonus episodes about once a month once we start season two. We're also going to put ad-free versions of all our regular episodes as well. And pictures of me spread out on a bearskin rug. No. But we are going to be more interactive. We're going to have a poll every month and people can vote for what episode we should do for that season. So basically we're going to have, we're going to continue with our format of cartoon live TV show and movie. But the fourth week in every month we'll get to be listener's choice from patreon exactly so you the listener are going to help decide what we watch and all this content is available at each level so if you want to support us for just a few dollars we have those our first year it's really affordable and if you'd like to help us pay for what we watch and the snacks we eat you can donate a few dollars more if you're a big spender 
yeah exactly and listen if you're not comfortable doing patreon at all we're still going to do the regular podcast and you can interact with us on facebook i'm only talking to patreon people oh that's not no that's not true that's not true (laughs) links to subscribe are going to be in the show notes each week and also on our website StopRuiningMyChildhood.com or you could just go to Patreon.com forward slash StopRuiningMyChildhood. All one word. Megan, I don't know what a Patreon is. Oh no. We're going to have to have a whole other conversation. Okay. (laughs) All right. All right. My name is Megan. And I'm Steve. Steve, do you have any great memories of Princess Bride? I mean, yeah, I've seen Princess Bride a lot. I watched it as a kid, obviously. Um, but I've seen it even as an adult. I think I have it on DVD. Mm-hmm. Um, not that we use those as much anymore. Um, right. But I have it on DVD. And it's one of those, you know, it's one of those movies you can watch hundreds and hundreds of times. And you always laugh at different areas. And I think that makes it really good. Yeah, I think this is one of those movies. There are probably four or five of them that I... I really, I kind of had a hard time watching it this time with you because I have it memorized. The whole movie, basically. Right. Beat for beat. I well, think you can still find little things here and there to enjoy. Um, but I've also, like you have too, I've read the book a number of times yeah. as well. So it's kind of like, uh, there aren't as many surprises, which is unfortunate. It, But, it, you know, it is romantic and it is action-packed and there's monsters and there's you know sword fights there's all sorts of different things in here there's so much comedy um it's it's inspiring and it can kind of touch little kids too i mean when i was i was young probably like fourth or fifth grade Mm -hmm. i had a crush on a girl that lived like two streets over yeah and so to get her attention more after i'd seen this i put a black mask on oh no and i put on a a black members only jacket (laughs) With a black pair of jeans, and I rode my bike past her house, and then I tried to convince her that I was a twin, my twin brother from out of town, so I could be mysterious. The black, it's the black members only jacket that does it for me. Yeah. Um, yeah, my, so my first memory of this is that the first time I saw this, I probably was around 10, so probably, probably around 1989, I think that we rented it okay i would not i would have been a little too young to see this in theaters okay um but i think we rented it and <laughs> i saw that it was based on a book and so i immediately went um to get the book to get the book from the library because yeah. that's what megan does yeah not what most 10 year olds would do so then i read the book Okay, and now this is going to really age me, even though we are Gen Xers and most of the people listening to this show Mm. probably are with us. So I read the book. Okay, and I, like the people on Amazon, legitimately thought that there was a real book that I was not reading. (laughs) That you were not getting and And you needed to find. I fully wanted, and here's the thing, the joke throughout the book is that the real book is incredibly boring. I didn't care. I wanted the original, and I, it was me, and I, I did go to the librarian eventually. I can't even tell you. Two librarians and I searched 
the card catalog. <laughs> they didn't know either. They didn't know either. <laughs> because if you haven't read it, you wouldn't know. But it said right on the cover, an abridgment of S. Morgenstern's classic. Right. We looked up S. Morgenstern. We looked up. And of course, it's a card catalog, like, you know, right. little cards. Then they did have a computer system that let them look at other libraries. They were trying to look it up in other libraries for probably like an hour and a half. I had two librarians on this case with me trying to find this original book. And then as I got older and I reread it, probably when I was like six, you know, 16, I read it again. And I was like, oh, no, like that's the joke. So for like two hours, these two librarians spent their their time their hard-earned time and money yeah looking for a book that didn't exist yeah and this is why when my brother says what what why when you go into the lockport library does everybody go oh hi megan nice to see you again this is why because this is the kind of crap i did (laughs) as a kid and also i'm not entirely sure where my parents were at that point Possibly just my mom might have been off reading. Yeah. Because I know that they were not with me, and I know I was very young. Uh, but my parents sometimes did drop me off at the library because it wasn't like I was going to make trouble there. Um, apparently. But, yeah. Apparently. Yeah, apparently I the made trouble. librarians look bored today. Let's drop Megan off. Let's get into the movie. All right. Let us get into the movie. All right. How does it begin, Steve? So we mentioned is it starts off with, with Fred Savage, young Fred Savage. Mm-hmm who plays the boy who is staying home sick. Yep. And his grandfather uh, comes over to read him a story and to visit him. And the actual opening shot, which I didn't remember, is of a video game. Yeah, he's playing an old video game. It's an Atari video game. It's for baseball, Yep, for baseball. But it's interesting to me because I think it's trying to show the difference between contemporary times, 1987. Yeah. And... The, the past fantasy story that we're going to go into. Right. right. And even at that time, he's watching, he's doing video games instead of reading a book or anything like right. that. And so uh, Peter Falk plays the grandfather. Yeah, Columbo. Peter Falk, who's Columbo, who is excellent. <laughs> I mean, he's a, he's a phenomenal actor. And he does a great job playing the grandfather. Um, it's a little bit of a kind of grandfatherly take of Columbo almost. Yeah. Um, but it's it's really well done <clears throat> with a mustache. Yes. Which I'm not used to seeing Peter Falk with a mustache. Um, and he has a first one of his first great lines is he says, When I was your age, television was called books. <laughs> yeah, I love that line. Every that's the thing about this movie is that really and the reason that it's so quotable i think this is one of the top like they have polls about quotable movies yeah and this one always comes out like number one or two because every line in this movie is gold every i mean you even said masks are going to be fashionable right there's like leaving little lines like that um yeah fred savage also has the same face now that he had at like eight years old oh yeah 100 <laughs> percent I had such a crush on Fred Savage as a kid. He looked like this kid in my class that I also had a crush on. <laughs> That's like exactly my type, Fred Savage. So but, so Peter Falk is the grandfather decides to read him this book. Yes. Um Morgan's was it S. Morgenstern? Yeah, and I, I'm kind of, yes, S. Morgenstern's classic, The Princess Bride. Now there's nothing about it being abridged or anything like that. <clears throat> I think it's interesting that they chose to keep the frame story um, 
and have this narration and everything like that. And I think it becomes pretty obvious that that's because of the humor, right? Right. That if we had just started in a pure fantasy and it had been like Willow or something, it would have been kind of funny, but I think it brings the humor out more. Um, yeah, I agree. Yeah. It brings it out more because you have, throughout the movie, you have these cuts back to the real world. Right. And commentaries by Fred Savage um, or by by Peter Falk as the grandfather. So I think that helps. So he begins to read and we're introduced to the land, which is obviously in like a middle-aged, you know, fantasy time. Yeah, we get right Medieval. in. And we get right into it, which I I think that it was smart to just have, you have the mom come in and say, oh, your grandfather's here, you're sick, he, he wants to visit with you, and she, he says he's going to pinch my cheek, and then he does, and then she leaves the room, and then he gets to the book. So yeah. it's only like, sometimes movies make this mistake of like having a long intro, and this is like three minutes. Yeah, it doesn't And it take just long. establishes what's going on, and that's all we need. So, so we're introduced to Buttercup. Mm-hmm. who is a beautiful young woman, and she lives on a farm, and they have a farm boy named Wesley. Mm-hmm. And Wesley, Buttercup basically loves to torment Wesley and make him basically do whatever she wants. So basically cut wood, fetch water, and Wesley never responds angrily to her or anything. The only response he ever says is, as you as wish. As you wish. They cut out her parents here, too, and I think that's an interesting choice. Um... I don't know kind of why you would do that other than they're, I guess they're not needed, but you're kind of like, why are these two people living on a farm together by themselves? You know? Right. So she realizes that they're, that when he says that he means I love you. Right. And then she realizes that she loves him too. Yeah. And so they have this little, it's really interesting because it's a montage. Yes. It's an introduce, they introduces these two who are really main characters with this brief montage, and then it says Wesley, you know, wanted to make something because he wanted to have money and to be able to prov- to provide and to support him and Buttercup. Yeah. So he goes off to make his way in the world. Right. And I think, too, that when people do read the book, this is one of the things that surprises them because the beginning part is very long. The introduction frame story is long, but also this whole part of how she became the most beautiful how they fell in love. There are her parents um, who are arguing about soup and taxes and things like that. And then after he leaves uh, and, and then dies, that's when Count Rugen is supposed to go and find a commoner for the prince to marry because of the political problems. Right. But we cut all that out. We cut all that out. We don't need it. So all we do is we see him leave and And, then we hear. And then Fred Savage says, wait, is this a kissing book? Yeah. And then we, so then we, we see him leave and we hear that the ship he was on was overtaken by the dread pirate Roberts, who never leaves survivors. To which Fred Savage says, murdered by pirates is good. Yeah. Murdered, death by, <laughs> being, being killed by pirates so is a good way good. to go. I don't know where this was filmed, but it's gorgeous. And I kept thinking about. You know, the cinematography here is a little weird that in some places you can tell it's a set and in some places it's not. And the transition from set to outdoors is is very jarring sometimes. But it really is quite beautiful. And I also think, too, and I, I don't, you know, we'll get into awards and stuff, but the costumes are amazing as well. Yeah, it was it was filmed in, in England. 
Yeah. And actually, in, in mostly in England, but like the the Cliffs of Insanity were in Ireland. Oh, okay, that makes sense. So over in the UK, um, they they get pretty quickly then into Buttercup being prepared and and being um, presented rather. But they cut very quickly to Buttercup being presented as the bride of Prince Humperdinck. Yeah, the the woman he's going to marry. Right. Yep. And it, so she's been moved to the castle. It's five years later. Um, and she goes riding on... Because she takes rides to kind of clear her mind. Right. And while she's... While she's out riding, she is stopped by three men. Marauders. Mercenaries. Yeah. And they kidnap her. And they kidnap her. One is Fezzik, the giant. Yep. One is Inigo Montoya, who is after revenge. He's a swordsman. He's a swordsman from Spain. And one is Vicini, the Sicilian. Yes. And apparently Wallace Shawn was like, I don't think I can do a Sicilian accent. And they're like, that's fine. (laughs) What's what's hilarious is this is like a fantasy and it has like this made up. Yeah, this made-up country of Florence and this made-up country of Gilder, who's across the sea. Right, but then they have a Spaniard and a Sicilian. Yeah, exactly. Which is kind of funny. So Spain and Sicily apparently also belong in this fantasy world. Yeah, I also really like I. This is for a lot of people, and this is one of my favorite parts of the movie where she's with these three because, again. It is an adventure, but you're getting the humor at the same time. And the way that it's blended is just so masterfully done that, um, you know, she says, you'll hang for this. And he just looks at her and says, of all the necks on this boat, Highness, the one you should be worrying about is your own. And it's a very serious moment. Mm -hmm. And then Fezzik does something and he's like, you idiot. And And then Inigo goes up to Fezzik and says... He probably means no harm. And Fezzik goes, yes, but he's very short on charm. Right. And then they do this rhyming thing, which my favorite line is, as the boat's going away, you can still hear them rhyming. And Ficini says, stop that rhyming now. I mean it. And Fezzik goes, anybody want a peanut? (laughs) I love that line so much. It's It's a comedy piece, but it's also super important, I think, because... We see, first off, we've just met these three, and you see, first off, Vecini's a bully. Yes. He's the littlest physically of all of them, but because of his intellect, he bosses the others around, right? But he bullies Andre the Giant's character, Fezzik, who's huge, and the strongest of them, right? And then Inigo, you with this rhyming game, you see the relationship between Fezzik and Inigo. Yeah. And Inigo uses the game to kind of make Fezzik feel better because he's just gotten yelled at and humiliated by right. by um And then and he says to Fezzik and he says to Fezzik, You have a great head for rhyme. You're right. wonderful at rhyme. Yeah. Right. So he builds him up a little bit. Right. And it yeah, it's very interesting. Again, a lot of times I feel like a lot of times movies today and TV shows, they're trying to do world building and backstory. Now, we do get a little bit of backstory for 
uh, Inigo was found by Vecini so drunk he couldn't even buy brandy, which is very cheap, right? But right. He, he couldn't even buy that. Um, and we get that both these guys were kind of in a low place. We later get the story of Inigo's father. But they they just do such great character development just in this one scene with the dynamics between the three guys. Right. Also, you know that, I mean, as we'll talk about, these two of these guys become kind of good guys later. Right. And they set that up here because Vincini mentioned something about how they were paid to take her and... And start leave, a war. Leave her dead on the on on the coast and make it look like the other country had did it. Right. Her, right. And it, when he mentions that, both... both Anigo and Fessick say that they don't they're they're not they don't like killing and they don't they they yeah. weren't in this to, to kill people. Yeah, they're just more in it for the money. Right. They're like, you know, it's honor among thieves. So Buttercup dives into the ocean and they in the book it's sharks, but I like here that they made it eels. Yeah, here it's eels, monster eels. And they had already mentioned eel infested waters because the other ship is following them. Yeah. Right. Okay. So she dives in and then the screaming of the eels. It's such a good fantasy piece to have the eels instead of sharks. But what's really great is that they cut back to Peter Falk and Fred Savage. Yes. And he goes, she does not get eaten by the eels at this time. And what's fascinating to me is that even though I've seen this movie a ton of times, I've memorized, I've read the book. You're like, oh. Like, you get so pulled into this story that you forget the real world. Right. And so, again, they're using that humor to cut the tension and cut the dramatic moment, but also to kind of play off the fact that this is a fantasy and that's the real world. So it's just, it's interesting to me. Yeah. Because I put, oh, I forgot. <laughs> in my notes. You know, also in this scene with the boat is where she's before, she, right before she jumps into the water and the, with the eels. An ego is at the back of the boat. Yeah. And he keeps saying, you know, are you sure that no one's no following. one's following us? And Vassini, who is super intelligent, right? He's supposed to be a genius. Right. But also, as it shows here in a lot of places in this the film with Vincini, this character is so smart, he assumes he knows everything. Yeah, it's hubris. And so he's like it's no one knows. Like the Gilder has no idea what we're doing, and Florence could never have caught us by our already by now. So no one would be following us. And then, like a few minutes later, he's like, "Are you sure no one's following us?" And he's like, "Inconceivable!" And he keeps saying, "Inconceivable!" And he's like, "By chance, why are you ask?" And he's like, "Well, because there's a boat back there that's been." Yeah. And then later, but what again? Another great quotable line is. Vincina goes, inconceivable. And Inigo goes, you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. Right. <laughs> so it's just hilarious. Because again, now he's calling him out on the intelligence piece. So we have the narrative intrusion. And then we have the boat is gaining on them. Um, she's saved by Fezzik from the eels. Yes, she's saved by Fezzik from the eels. The boat is great, gaining on them. And then we come to the cliffs of insanity. Yes. He says, and no matter that the boat's gaining, because we're going to lose them at the cliffs of insanity. Yeah. Because the cliffs are so steep that only Fessick is strong enough to basically climb the cliffs. Yeah. And a, 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 most of this, you can tell it's done by body doubles. Right. Right. But part of it wasn't. So they did have to go up a certain amount. And apparently Wallace Shawn, who, by the way, is 
a wonderful playwright and yeah. really known in academic circles. He actually, the days he wasn't filming for this movie, he gave guest lectures at Oxford. I forgot yeah. to mention that, the fun facts. But he is afraid of heights. So there's something that was caught on film of Andre the Giant patting him and being like, I'm going to take good care of you. And then putting him on himself and then starting to climb. Because even that little bit, I guess, freaked him out. Um, this is my one thing. They're at the bottom of the cliff in this little inlet where, where they've um, docked the boat, right? Mm -hmm. And they're going up the cliffs of insanity. It's very apparent the set versus the actual cliffs in Ireland. And it, it's just even the lighting is wrong. And it's just it's like a little nitpicky thing, but it it's jarring to me, mm -hmm. I guess, if that makes sense. So they go up the cliffs. There's these ruins at the top. And he tells Fezzik to take the girl. They're going to run. And he's leaving Inigo behind. Right. And he says, if he makes it up the cliff, finish him with a sword. Yeah. To which Inigo admits, I'm going to do him left-handed. Right. And he <laughs> says, what? We don't have time for this. I told you we're already on a rush. And he says, it's the only way I could feel good about it. No, he says, it is the only way I can be satisfied. Right. <laughs> like, it's if I, if I use my right hand, it's I'm over too quick. I'm not going to be satisfied It's if over I do too quick if I use my right hand. Oh, my gosh. And then um, he calls down, Vicini leaves, he calls down to the man in black saying he'll he'll throw him the rope. And the man in black now is climbing hand over hand. And he could fall at any minute. And he says, how do I know you're not just going to drop me? And the guy says, I'll give you my word as a Spaniard. To which the man in black says, that's no good. I've known too many Spaniards. <laughs> it's such a racist comment. <laughs> oh my gosh. But also one that has no, like there's, there's no stereotype no, against no, Spaniards. There's also, there's no... There's no precedence or no backstory to that. No. There's no, what, what Spaniards have lied to you and done you wrong in your past? We don't know. Um, he says, I swear on the soul of my father, Domingo Montoya, you will reach the top alive. And was, and the man in black's like, all right, throw me the rope. Yeah, throw me the rope. So he comes up. He lets him rest. We get the backstory of his father. The fact that he's searching for this six-fingered man um, and... That a six-fingered man killed his father over the, the sword. This father made this beautiful sword meant for six fingers. The guy cut the price. The father refused to take it. And he left the sword, which now Inigo fights with. And he also gave him these. And he points to his slash. The scars on his cheeks. The yep. scars on his cheeks. You, you learn, you know, it's interesting because you learn the backstory of Inigo. But you also learn a lot about Inigo. Because he mm -hmm. makes it, because the man in black makes it up to the top of the cliff. And he starts to grab his sword, and Ego says, no, 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 when you're ready. Yeah. And he lets him sit down. He dumps rocks out of his boots. He kind of stretches a little bit. And then he starts to stand up again, and Ego goes, are you set? And he goes, even if I'm not, you've been more than generous. Yeah, he's, it's out so, of among thieves. And Ego has a sports, he's a, he's a, he has a sportsmanship kind of aspect to him, right? Yes. Fairness. Yeah, that's true. And uh, he wants it to be a fair fight, and he also thinks, given the fact that this guy sailed almost as fast as them and faster if he was gaining on them and then also climbed the cliffs of insanity that this is going to be a worthy opponent. Right. right? And so then we have 
the sword fight to end all sword fights. In my mind, the greatest sword fight in movie history. It really this is. This sword it? fight is phenomenal. And apparently, this lasted for hours. Like and then they cut pieces. They and just they cut just it down. cut. They just cut it down. This was like, and I don't mean like, yeah, a shoot lasts for hours. If you redo it, redo it. But I don't think it sounds to me like they just, you know, and <clears throat> they have gymnastics. They're flipping around. They're one of them is leading. One of them is gaining. Right. You know, and then the other one's dropping back, and then it switches. It's amazing. Well, the other the other thing that's really awesome about it is, as we know, you know, through. You know, through half of the sword fight, right? They're fighting, they're fighting, they're fighting. <laughs> it's, it becomes obvious that the Man in Black is a much better swordsman than Inigo Montoya thought he was. Right. Like, not only is he a challenge, but he's actually very good, right? Yeah, they're talking about different styles of sword play. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and the Man in Black actually starts to overcome mm-hmm. Inigo Montoya... And Inigo Montoya's like, yes, you're very good. And he, Man in Black says, but how come you're still smiling? And he says, because I know something you don't know. I'm not left-handed. And he switches to his right hand, right? And then they they do. Then he overcomes the Man in Black, and the Man in Black says, I know something you don't know either. I'm also not left-handed. And he switches to his right. Yeah. right? It's at this point, though, that you realize these two actors, right? Mandy Patinkin and Carrie Elways. Elways right? They had to learn this entire choreography and fencing left-handed and then right-handed. And it's not just your hand. I mean, I I took in a, during a summer camp, just for fun, uh, a sword fighting class. It is about your stance and the way that you move and parry is totally different. Um, The other thing too, is that they do really great acting while they're doing the sword fighting as well. So, because they're still saying lines, there are parts where they're supposed to be in fear. There are parts where they're supposed to be like feeling more victorious. Right. Yeah. And also when they're jumping and flipping off rocks. Well, that's some, some of that stage, but still, but when the man in black starts to eventually win, it's done very slowly the way a real sword fight would be. Yeah. So it's not like all of a sudden he's got him. No, he starts to move forward. Then he's moving forward. Then he flips from his right hand to his left. Then you can then Inigo starts fighting with both hands on the sword, just trying to keep this guy off yeah. of him. So he gets into a point of desperation. It's just it's it is really well done. It's phenomenal. Really well done. And then at the end, of course, the man in black overcomes Inigo and Inigo's on his knees and he's like, just make it quick. And the man in black says, I would, re- I would, I, you know, he basically makes a comment that, like, I, I wouldn't kill an artist. Right. I wouldn't kill someone who made a beautiful stained glass window because he recognizes what a great swordsman Inigo yeah. is. And so he goes, but at the same time, I can't have you following me. So he knocks Thunk. him out instead <laughs> and leaves him there. Yes. Leaves him there. And then he goes off again in pursuit of Buttercup. Ficini hears him realizes that he's following them again yeah. it says inconceivable <laughs> to kill him your way if mm. goes what's my way and he's like pick up a rock and smash yeah. it he says pick up a rock and hide over there and when he comes by smash his head and <laughs> says 
my name, my way does not seem very sportsmanlike. Yeah, um, and of course, then again, you see that this sense of fairness and honor among thieves. So Fezzik waits, and he says, "You put down your sword; I'll put down my rock." The man in black says, "Seems like you still have an advantage over me." And Fezzik's like, "But I could kill you right now." Yeah. <laughs> so the man in black eventually hops on his back and chokes him out yeah they, they have a little him. bit of a thing where fessick chases him a bit and he kind of is quick and fast and he says you know this still doesn't seem much it's very fair and fessick says it's not my fault i'm so big yeah that's true <laughs> and that's then true. you know he he jumps on his back and he basically does a sleeper hold on him yeah and fessick says i think i understand why i'm having so much trouble with you i'm used to fighting like five or ten men at once and then he goes down <laughs> yeah and he goes What's that have to do with it? He goes, well, you'll fight one man different than you'll fight a group of men. Yeah. So then the man in black is off in pursuit after Vecini, who just sits there with a knife to Buttercup's throat. Yes. And it's interesting because it's kind of hinted at that the prince set this up, right? In the book, it's the prince has hired these three guys to right. start because the, he just wants to go to war. The prince mentions it later that yeah. he's the one that had done it, but yeah. Because he wants to go to war, but... but so they're confused as to why this guy's following him, but he knows that he wants Buttercup. And then we have the Battle of Brains, where he puts Iocane powder, odorless, tasteless, into two chalices and asks Vicini to pick. Right. Which one? And the logic and word salad that this guy goes through. He's Wallace, such a Wallace Shawn goes into like this just ridiculous ridiculous circling logic that yes. just goes over and over and over and over and Carrie Lewis calls him out he's like you're just stalling now like you're just going in circles well, I can clearly not like, pick you, the one in you front wish of me. I were I can clearly not pick the one in front of me but as everyone knows I came powder comes from Australia you're like what yeah. are you talking about um He's like, so I can't choose the one in front of you because you're a convict. He's like, but you would know I knew that that kid. <laughs> yeah. So eventually he goes, what in the world is that? The man in black turns around. He switches the glasses and drinks. And the man in black says, you chose wrong. And Vecini starts laughing. You only think I chose wrong. I switched the glasses. Yeah. And then he falls you, over. You fell it. victim to one of the oldest the oldest uh, follies in the book. The first being, never start a land war in Asia. But Such the, a good joke. The second being, never go in against a Sicilian when death is on the line. And then he laughs himself to death. Yeah, and, and falls dies. Over. Because he drank the, the poison. Because he drank the poison. Um, and... As this is all happening, we also cut back to see that the prince and Count Rugen and their horsemen have come a different way trying to find Buttercup. And they're now at the Cliffs of Insanity and they're saying there was a fight here. He's a great hunter. Yeah, you can so, tell the prince is a great tracker because it's yes. showing him he's basically following the footsteps of the entire sword fight. And kind of mentioning, like, this man overtook this man, and he's kind of, you know, And this one ran out. off, and this one followed in pursuit. So we know also that the prince is on the trail, right, and coming for her. So the man in black now ha says, I cane powder was in both glasses. I've spent the last five years building up its resistance to yeah, it. Yeah, I've built up a resistance to it, so I put so it in both good. glasses. So he takes Buttercup 
uh, she's untied. They have a fight, and she... He basically is very insulting towards her. Yes. He basically is telling her, like, she's she's not honest, she can't be trusted, all of this. And she, you know, she basically says, well, I know who you are by your... By, by the way that you're so nasty and, and vicious. vicious. yeah. Like, you, you have to be the Dread Pirate Roberts. And he says, indeed I am. And then she basically is like, you killed my only love. And he was like, I kill a lot of people. Like, that could be. <laughs> yeah. But then he kind of realizes that she isn't in love with the prince and she didn't betray their love. Right. right? And um, so... He makes fun of her um, for a bit and she says, you could die too for all I care and pushes him down the hill. And he says, as you wish. She realizes who it is. She realizes that Wesley is the Which, Dread Pirate but Roberts. When she talks about his eyes being like the sea after a storm and his mellifluous voice. It's, it's still been, got it's, the same eyes and voice. It's been five years. I know, but if, if you showed up five years later after I thought you were dead, even if you had a mask on, I'd know your eyes you and your voice. You wouldn't know it. I would. I love I you so you much. I met you five years before we, got in, before we dated and you didn't even remember me. Yes, I did. No. <laughs> I still think that we met at Cortland, but anyway. No, we didn't. So she dives down after him. Yes. And she and then they roll down the hill. Yeah. <laughs> and Which then, is done just in time because the prince and yep. his men are following and then they, they saw them on the ridge and then they go, they've disappeared. And he says, that's okay. There's only one place they could be headed. The, the fire, fire swamp. swamp. So then we enter the fire swamp. And my fun fact about the fire swamp is oh wait first I forgot to say my fun fact about Wallace Shawn being Vicini is as I said Danny DeVito originally was thought of for the role right and he was so worried and had like anxiety panic attacks because he thought that Danny DeVito was a great actor and that he couldn't be as funny as Danny DeVito he's so good in this part I can't Danny De- I mean I can see Danny DeVito has the same physical attributes the shortness and things like that that would make him it good, would be a totally different but it would character. be totally different totally. and I don't think he would bring the same Type um, of humor. The same type it's of just humor, different. no. So at any rate, they go into this fire swamp. Now, there are three things about the fire swamp. The first is the fire, mm-hmm. as the name implies. <laughs> There's a popping sound, and then the fire bursts up. Right, the fire it's spurts. Like a, like a geyser. Sorry. There's the fire spurts. Yep. The lightning sand. Uh-huh. And the R-U-S's. The, the R-O-U-S's. The rodents of unusual size. Yes. These were done by um, men in suits. Oh, okay. Like the R-O-U-S's. And my fun fact that I waited until now, one of them was going through a bitter divorce and apparently set some of his wife's ex's belongings on fire and was thrown <laughs> in jail in Britain. So the other... R-O-U-S's and the crew, like, bailed him out so he could finish the scenes. Nice. <laughs> they could, the suits were pretty much made for these people because right. they had to be a certain size. Um, yeah, so. So during <laughs> Arson. D- during the time through the fire swamp as they're finding these fire spurts and the quicksand and the rodents of unusual size, we Wesley explains to her basically that 
how he came to be the Dread Pirate Roberts. Right. Right, that he, his ship was overtaken by the, the pirate, but he had begged for his life and told them how he was had true love and he explained Buttercup. And the Dread Pirate Roberts was intrigued, so he basically spared Wesley and said, I've never had a cabin boy, but you can be my valet, basically, right? And you can be the cabin boy. Um, and he says, you know, do whatever I say and we'll see how you do and I'll most likely kill you in the morning. Yeah. And he says, five years that went on. Great job, Wesley. Um, so, you know, <laughs> great job, Wesley. Turn in. I'll most likely kill you in the morning. <laughs> and and really, too, obviously, he's been studying sword play. He's been building up a, a Iocane powder, into, you know, tolerance. Yeah. So he's been like an apprentice to this guy. Now, my question, Steve, is that... Um, for three years he did that, and then they switch places, right. and they take a new ship. Having said that, for at least two years, he's been the Dread Pirate Roberts, right. who doesn't take survivors. Well, he said, I've killed lots of men. Yeah. So Wesley is like a mass murderer right. at this point, but he has made his fortune, which is what he set out to do, Yeah, I guess. Um, so, then we have the lightning sand, which I always think of as snow sand. I don't know if that's what it's called in the book. That's why I get it mixed up. But she, Buttercup goes down into the lightning sand fast. Yeah. Oh, she drops quick. I have been in quicksand before. It yeah. is scary, but it doesn't go. But it's go, not that quick. No, it doesn't go very fast. And it's you can float in it, so it's actually not a big deal as cartoons make it out to be. He, um, Carrie Elway's asked for this stunt to be different because originally he was supposed to go in feet first like her mm -hmm. and he was like that's not very heroic and they were like well there's a trap door and the mattress is underneath for them to fall into mm -hmm. so he decides to dive and they're like if you do this wrong like you could seriously injure yourself and thankfully on the first take he made it in so it worked out um so they know now how to avoid the lightning sand because mm -hmm. it's white. And they know what it looks like. And then she goes, well, what about the R.O.U.S.'s? And he goes, rodents of unusual size? I don't think they exist. And then one jumps on And him. then he's attacked immediately, immediately. by one. Oh, it's so funny. It's so good. He then has to fight off all of these, this horde of rodents. Right, which he does. And they make it out of the fire swamp alive. Only to be confronted by the prince and the count. And their men. And his men, right. Okay. So Buttercup says something that surprises them both. If you let him go, I'll come with you. Yeah, do promise not to hurt him. Yeah. And they both go, what was that? Because Wesley's like, I'm not giving up to the death. Yeah. Death first. Yeah. Wesley believes that they, they have true love. And that true love is stronger than death. That's true. Prince Humperdinck leaves with Buttercup. Yeah. And then Wesley looks at the Count and says, you have six fingers on your right hand. Someone was looking for you. Yeah. And it's interesting because as before the before the Prince leaves with Buttercup, he tells the Count, he tells Buttercup, you have my word that he'll be escorted back to his ship and brought back to where he goes, right? Right. And she says, okay. And then he says to the Count, once we're gone, bring him to the pit of despair and lock him up. Yes. Um, so this is the first spot that we get the idea that the prince is not honorable. Right. Right. We didn't really know the prince too much until this point. We see him trying to find Buttercup, but we don't know if that's 
because he's worried about her. We don't right, yeah. but now we see that he's not an honorable person because he's not. He's just swore to her that he would take care of Wesley, and now he's basically saying that's not going to happen. And I love the line because Wesley doesn't hear that, but knows what's up. Yes, because and so the count says to him, "All right, we're going to escort you back to your ship," and he says, "We are men." Of honor, lies do not become yeah, us. Yeah, he says, we're men of action. Action. Lies do not become us. Yeah. Because he knows what's going on. Yeah, it's such a good lie. <laughs> I was like, honor doesn't sound right. Yeah, it is action. We're men of action, lies do not become us is such a good line. Again, not a funny line, but just a good line. Yeah. You know? So we're taking a little too long here, but we can <laughs> we can speed it up. He goes to the pit of despair. You know... There's a lot of controversy about the Pit of Despair because of the albino. A lot of times albinos are portrayed in people with albinism, rather, are portrayed in movies like this, where mm-hmm. they're like weird or different or evil. I But my favorite part with th- this man is only known as the albino, which is also problematic. Right. But he goes, oh, don't even think. <coughs> Don't even think about leaving. Yeah. <laughs> it's such a great, it's such a great bit for him to switch up his voice like that. So the Count explains to him, this is a machine that sucks a year of your life, right? right? Which was in the book, but originally the actual contraption was made for a James Bond movie. Oh, okay. And they ended up scrapping it, but they were like, if this is expensive to make, maybe we can use it somewhere else. Nice. So they they, they reconfigured it to be this machine that was, gotcha. that was in the book. I think that's kind of fun. Um, so he takes a year of his life away and he just starts crying. Yeah. And again, in the book, when they do that, he actually has this picture in his head of Buttercup and he's able to like disassociate. So the one doesn't affect him at all. Gotcha. Um, so I kind of didn't love that they cut that part because I think it would have like shown their love a little bit mm-hmm. more again. But at any rate, in the meantime, Buttercup's getting ready to marry the prince. She says, uh, sh- she explains that she loves this man. He says, well... You did abandon him. So I'll send my four fastest ships with your letter mm-hmm. to him and we'll make copies and we'll send the four fastest ships. And if he comes before the wedding, good. And if not, he's abandoned you and we can get married. Right. right? Um. So again, lying to her completely. Because right. she says basically, if not, she's going to kill herself. Right. And so he says, well, in order to prevent that, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Now. Then, in the meantime, they're cleaning up the town for the wedding. And as they're doing that, they're cleaning out the thieves' quarter. Basically, it's very much a 70s, 80s thing of, like, we have a big event. Let's move all the homeless people out of the... Right. So, it's optics, right? Um, So, the brute squad goes into the thieves' quarter, and Fezzik and Inigo are reunited. Yes, because Fezzik's working for the brute squad. Well, he is the brute squad. Helping to clear people out. Yes. and Inigo has gone back to this tavern where they were hired. where he met Vincini because Vincini always said if a job goes wrong, go back to the beginning, meet right. back where we were. And so he's waiting basically for the next step and drinking and excessively. Drunk. Yeah. Um. So they're reunited and they're like, we need we need a plan and we need to get revenge, right? Because Fessick sobers him up and in doing that tells him kind of what's going on yes including the six the count who's the six-fingered man right 
So this mysterious guy who killed his father, he finally knows who it is. How Fezzik knows any of this, we don't know. Well, because he's the brute squad and Count Rugen is in charge of all oh, that. Oh, okay. Right? So he's in charge of the redheaded guy who's in charge of the brute squad. So right. it's like you would know your boss's boss. Yeah. Right? So, um, so they plan to find the man in black and they realize that he's been taken. Um, they find the albino in the forest. Uh-huh. And they're going to go and kidnap him, basically, or rescue him. Yes. But then Buttercup realizes that he, they say, oh, it's the time for the wedding. And the prince makes a comment like, yes, all the ships in the fleet will be outside our borders, making sure nobody from Gilder tries to do war. And she says, all but your four fastest. And he's like, what? (laughs) Yeah. And she realizes that he was lying to her. So she confronts him and he, in a fit of rage and jealousy, because he doesn't love her, but he, it's a control thing, Right. right? He wants her to be loyal to him. Yeah. Even so, even though he tried to kill her twice. So he says he runs down to the pit of despair and Count Rugen's there and he pushes the lever all the way up. To 50 years. To 50. Which it it should have been 11. Right. But 50 (laughs) years. Yeah, 50 years. So taking 50 years. Which basically kills Wesley. Mostly. Mostly. (laughs) Yeah. So they... um, so Fezzik and Inigo get there after this. Yep. And they find him mostly dead. Mostly dead. They're like, it would take a miracle. And they realize there's this guy, Miracle Max. Yeah. Now the, the prince fired him when the king started becoming demented. Basically, right. the king's got like Alzheimer's or dementia. Uh-huh. And he's a little bit doddery and he can't hear anything. He's not the one in power, even though right. he's still alive. And the prince fired this guy who had been working for the king all those years. Right. And this is the second funniest part of the movie. I don't know, because Wallace Shawn is so hilarious. Um, but Billy Crystal and Carol Kane like I said, they did a lot of backstory work together. Yeah, Carol Kane, as we've talked about before, when we did the if you if you listen to the Scrooge episode, right? Scrooge. If you use the phrase "smoke show," I'm going to be not happy with you. No, well, I, Carol Kane was an attractive woman. Okay, okay, but you don't know that in this movie because she's got so much makeup on. Right? Yeah, she this... looks like an old hag, kind of, but she's hilarious. Yes, and they are a great comedy duo. They're really, really funny together. I, I really wish, I think a lot of Carol Kane's movies, like, she has smaller parts in, but she always steals the show. Right. And she was a Broadway actress as well, and a comedian, and she's just so great. Um, But they, she's like this harping, nagging wife, mm-hmm. and he's this curmudgeonly old, bitter guy who's, like, not... So they do this thing where they listen to his, la- to Wesley's last words. What do you want to come back from the dead for? What's worth 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 coming back? And he says, "True love." Yeah, true love. Yes. And and an ego says, "See, did you hear that? Nothing is more worth anything. You know, nothing is worth more than true love." And he says, <laughs> "No, that's true. That it, true love is the greatest gift." But he obviously didn't say that. He said, "To blave," and which means to bluff. Yes. So you probably like scammed him out of cards or something and now yes. you want your money and then carol king comes in true love max he yeah, said true yeah. love and she's such a harpy and it's hilarious so they're gonna make this big pill it'll 
take it takes like 15 minutes to work they coat it in chocolate so it goes down easier Mm -hmm. and it's supposed to bring somebody who's mostly dead back to life back to life because he's not all dead right right? but he's almost there he's he's almost there he's mostly dead um and so then they leave and she they turn to each other and it's such a great because you didn't have to have this but carol kane turns to billy crystal and goes do you think it'll work? And he goes, it'll take a miracle. Yeah. <laughs> like, so you get the idea that maybe he was a snake oil salesman kind of the right. whole time. And that's why he got fired. So they take the pill, they take him, they pop the pill in his mouth. And, and then they have this great bit where he's like, we're it Wesley is like, we're in this horrible state. And they're like, Fezzik goes, you just moved your head a little. Doesn't that make you happy? Yeah. <laughs> you just wiggled and he's your like, finger. He's like 60 minutes at the gate. His mm-hmm. steel, your brawn, my brains. And I'm supposed to be happy over a little <laughs> bit like this, right? Because it's interesting that, you know, the man in black was this in, impending figure, right? Yeah. That was chasing them and everything. And, you know, as we said earlier, when he sobered up and Ego realized he needed to get his revenge... But he has no stra- he has no gift for strategy, right? And he said, "If the man in black beat me at steel and beat you at strength, he must have beat Vin- Vincini in intelligence." Yeah. So a man like that could make. So now he's being used for his brains. Yeah, and he doesn't really have his body at this point. So and it's amazing physical see- comedy. Yes, it right? really is. Which it goes from again him being this like heroic swashbuckler to now he's like. Like hanging limp, and they're dragging it's him. Almost like weekend at Bernie's. Like, it is almost, that, yes. that they have to kind of carry him around and prop him up in different things. He's like, if only we had a wheelbarrow. If only we had a Holocaust. Yeah. Oh, we have those. Well, why didn't you list those <laughs> in, in, our in our assets? So they make this plan that they're going to bust up the wedding by putting Fezzik in a Holocaust cloak, which is basically fireproof, right? You can light it on fire. And wheeling him in and lighting him on fire to scare away the 60 men so that they don't actually have to fight them. Right. Which, it's such a smart plan. Then they only have to confront the very cowardly guy who's with the Bruce squad who has the keys. Right. Give us the key to the gate. I don't have any key. What key? Fezzik rip off his arms off. Oh, this key? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So he lets them in, and Inigo goes after the six-fingered man. And Fezzik... Is left with the very limp Wesley. <laughs> yes. Um, and they go after Buttercup. Now, because of all the commotion, the wedding ceremony basically was skipped over. But we can't skip over it because it's hilarious. <laughs> Because, again, the brilliance of this movie that Rob Reiner did in taking this book and adapting it is that this didn't have to be like when you just if you just read the script, you would not. Marriage is what brings us together here Mm -hmm. today. What he did is that at every moment that could be super serious, he undercuts it with humor. Mm -hmm. So it's the height of tension. It's the climax of the movie. They're trying to break in. Wesley is most still mostly dead. She's getting married away. The guy is saying they're they're about to say their vows, and we have (laughs) marriage. And I don't want to make fun of people with speech impediments, but it's not what you're expecting. No, not at all. It's funny because it's it's ironic because it's the opposite of what you expect. It's supposed to be this very serious, very... um, Climactic moment. Climactic moment, but also very like... It's it's, it's in a church. It's very spiritual, right? It's supposed to be like this very serious moment. And then, of course, you hit it with that. 
And then Prince Humperdinck gets up, upset and worried, and he goes, man and wife, say man and yeah, wife. Yeah, just speed it up. And the bishop goes, man and wife. And then she's whisked away. Yeah. And then when she, then she's she's poised with the knife over her chest, and we hear, there's a shortage of perfect breasts in this world. It would be a pity to waste yours. Right, and she realizes that there's Wesley on her bed. Yes. Because um, he can't get up or move anywhere. No, he can't get up Fesic or move. dropped him on the bed and then... Went to or, help Inigo. Or, yeah, Fezzik left him at the suit of armor and went to help Inigo, and then somehow he crawled he his way, crawled his way. To, the, to this bed, basically. Yeah. So, um, so she... He had told, the prince had told Buttercup, she said, my Wesley will still come for me. And he said, I, I killed your Wesley mm-hmm. t- uh, yesterday. And, um, and now she's surprised to see Wesley. And she says, she said, he says, you're not married. And she says, yes, I was there. An old man said man and wife. Yeah. Which I just think is hilarious. <laughs> this old man said man and wife. And he says, did you say I do? And she says. No, we kind of skipped over that part. And he said, then you're not married. But I love that she doesn't say, like, the priest or the bishop. Right. She's like, this old man said man and wife. So funny. She also, I forgot, too, that after that, as she's being whisked away, she's walking with the king. And she gives him a kiss on the cheek and says, that's for being so kind to me. Because unlike his son, the king is a very kind man. Yeah. And he says, what? And she goes, that's fine. I just wanted to thank you for being kind to, for, to me because I'm going to go kill myself now. And he goes, okay, dear. And then he goes, she kissed me. Yeah. Yes, to his wife. It's so good. Every, see, this is the thing. Every small moment in this movie is gold. Yeah. Like even that, that could have just been a throwaway thing or not even in there. And it's interesting because you have, you know, we, we've mentioned so many actors, right? And you have Robin Wright here as Buttercup. Yeah. And, she basically is, she's written to play the straight man. Yeah, she really is. She has all of these other amazing actors and comedians around her. Yeah. And she's kind of playing the straight angle the whole time. And I would think that actually, it, that's harder than it looks. Right. Because I've seen her in other stuff. She's a great actress, actually. And I I don't, you know, a lot of people at the time compared her to Daryl Hannah, but we watched Splash. Yeah, no. And Daryl Hannah is gorgeous, but the yeah. acting chops are not no. there. But if you've seen Robin Wright in any, especially um, uh, the things she did with Kevin Spacey. Yeah, House of Cards. House of Cards. Amazing. She's amazing and yeah. totally different. So she really has to play calm, placid, yeah. kind. But in the book, Buttercup's not the brightest bulb in the box. Like she's <laughs> really supposed to be quite beautiful, but not really that bright. Um, so at any rate, the prince bursts in on her and Wesley as they're having their reunion and says, to the death. And Wesley says, no, to the pain. And I love this part. Yeah, and he goes off on this, like, really specific rant of how he's going first, to... First your nose, yeah. and then your lip. Then your, like, all, then your, your wrists, eye. and then your, you know, then your feet. And, and he the goes, ankle. and then my ears, get out with it. He's like, wrong! Mm. Your ears you keep so that every chi- every scream of every child, every woman who says, dear God, what is that thing, will ring through your perfectly intact ears. Mm. Drop your yeah. sword. The prince says, you're bluffing. He says, I might be. 
He says, maybe I can't move. I don't know. And then he stands up and holds yeah. the sword out. And the prince just freaks and drops his sword. <laughs> Which also shows what a coward he is. Right. Of course you can hunt things that are in your own pit that yeah. you've already procured. But now there's someone standing in front of you with a sword and you can't handle yeah. it. Yeah. And um, and this is the guy who wants to go to war with Gilder, right? Mm-hmm. With Flo- Florin versus Gilder, the, the best World War Zero? Probably, one half. yeah. Um, so... Then Wesley collapsed, and we cut back to Inigo. Who's catching up with the Six-Fingered Man. Who also ran away. Yes. When, when, when confronted. And I think what's so great here is that he, re- it's the, it's not just, hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. That's Those are the words that he's wanted to say to this guy his whole life. Mm-hmm. It's that he repeats them. Yeah. And he repeats them, and every time he repeats them, he gets stronger and stronger. So the, he, the Count had thrown a knife, it went into Inigo's side, but he finds this strength for revenge. Right. And it's not as clear, but it is in the book, he's trying to cut, the Inigo is trying to cut the Count's heart out. Mm-hmm. So he slashes both his cheeks and he says, promise me a kingdom, promise me money, promise me riches. And he's like, yes, anything. I'll give you anything you want. And he says, I want my father back, you son of a bitch. And then he drives the sword through. Drives the sword and then twists it once it's Mm -hmm. in. And the count drops dead. And then Inigo runs and he finds Wesley and Buttercup and the prince is tied up. Yeah. And he knows. And prince is like, I knew he was bluffing. Um, And then Fezzik's outside. With horses. With horses. He says, I saw these horses and there was four of them. And I thought, there's four of us if you ever find a princess. Hello, princess. <laughs> Hello, lady. Yeah. And she falls down in this beautiful cascade of her white dress. And they ride away on the horses. And then she and Wesley again share a kiss. And then we go back to Peter Falk and red savage right and there was a tag originally in the original script that after the grandfather leaves fred savage looks out his window and sees them riding by on the four horses right. which i think would have been kind that of cool. kind of cool too yeah um because the way it actually ends is not quite so no as we mentioned this book was done <laughs> as like like the best parts were read out of it right yeah. and there was a 30th year anniversary edition where they tried to fill in pieces that weren't Read initially. Right. And, and Buttercup's daughter. Yeah, like in the end of that, which is supposed to be the original ending of this, like, um, an ego dies of his wounds because he was, he was injured quite a bit in the last yeah. fight. Um, the Miracle Max pill was only temporary and Wesley dies after a few days. Um, but the, but Buttercup is pregnant from Wesley. Right. And so she ends up having a daughter, and Fessick is basically living with them, taking care of them. And one day the daughter goes swimming out in the ocean and almost drowns because the tidal, like the tides pick up. And Fessick goes out and rescues her, and he drowns rescuing her. Yeah, it's very sad. So everyone dies except for like the daughter and Buttercup. It's really sad. And and here's what I want to say, in my opinion. Not just the movie, but also the book, because it was at, it's not canon. Right. But I just think it's so funny that, that William Golding was like, no, just everybody's going to die and these two are just going to live, you know, lonely, sad lives. Um, so thankfully it didn't end like that. And we right. get the original happy ending where they're reunited and it's and, happily and, ever and after. And Ego is possibly going to become the next Dread Pirate Roberts. Yep. 
And I'm assuming Fezzik would probably be his first mate. Right. And Wesley's going to retire on the riches he's already made. And he and Buttercup are going to live happily ever after. And, back at, and then they show over the credits, it's it's the farm again. Of yeah. them on the farm and, the, and stuff. And it is from the beginning, but you get the idea that they went back to that life where they were happy. Mm. That's so sweet. And yeah. they're happy and in love. And that's why it's a perfect date movie. It, that's and that's why it won the Remy. I don't know if it was a perfect date movie. I we voted. Have a nice date I voted against that because uh. I think it's a great everything movie and not just a date it is, movie. It is like a desert island movie, right? right. Like it is the one, and it, 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 it didn't win for that because I didn't enter it into the category right. because I had it in this category. But it really is, uh, yeah. It's just it's an amazing movie. So what did people think about it at the time? What was the reception? So, you know, the box office. It made about thirty point eight mil. Okay, which in eighty seven is pretty good. And it it made its budget right. I'm its budget was sixteen. Yeah, so it, okay. It, it doubled. almost doubled its budget, which yeah. is pretty good, especially in those days, right? So bad. Um, critical response: Rotten Tomatoes gives it a ninety seven percent. Oh, okay. Which is super high, right? Um, that's about right. Yeah, the site the sites. <laughs> Like, who are the three percent of bastards who don't like this movie? The sites, <laughs> the sites review says it's a delightful postmodern fairy tale. The Princess Bride is a deft, intelligent mix of swashbuckling, romance, and comedy that takes an age-old damsel in distress story and makes it fresh. Do we have what Roger Ebert had to say? Gene Siskel and Roger <laughs> Ebert gave the film two thumbs up. Oh, okay. Um, a lot of times, Roger Ebert is curmudgeonly about this stuff, so that's yeah, why I Ebert wonder. wrote a very, very favorable review in his column of the Chicago Sun, um, and said, and and New York Times praised the cast and the sweetness of the film. Aww. Um So while it was not a major box office success, it became, as we mentioned before, a huge cult classic. Mm-hmm. The film is widely regarded, as you mentioned, as eminently quotable. Yes. Um, Carrie Elways noted in in 2017, um, at its 30th anniversary, that fans still frequently come up to him and quote lines from the movie. Oh, interesting. Um, you know, um, and he said, according to him, Wallace Shawn had had it worse than him. Oh, because I bet. anytime Wallace made a small error, like dropping his keys, people would shout "inconceivable" at him. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's like that's like when um. Emma Watson tried to go to college, and anytime she would try to answer in a class, people would scream at her, 10 points for Gryffindor! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, so, yeah, it really, it, it, you know, um, in 2005, The Princess Bride was voted 40th in a 100 Greatest Family Films poll. Mm. It was ahead of Snow White and the Seven Dwarves and Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice isn't. And just behind bed knobs and broomsticks. Oh, interesting. Um, I think I think this is a better movie than bed knobs and broomsticks. Especially if you watch the full version of bed knobs and broomsticks, it, it drags quite a bit. But I like that movie. But. In 2014, Carrie Elways wrote As You Wish, the inconceivable tales from the making of The Princess Bride. <laughs> a behind-the-scenes account of the film's production. <laughs> um... And in this, in the in the book, debuted as number three on the New York Times bestseller list. Um, in in twenty eighteen, Savage reprised his role as the grandson in Deadpool two. Okay. Um, 
taking the role of the narrator and reading Deadpool 2's story to him. Like Deadpool came in as the grandfather. Oh, that's right. It I was forgot. like a little cut. It was like a little yes, scene. Yes, I forgot that. Okay. Mm-hmm. So pretty good reception. So what did we think about it? What did you think about rewatching it? I haven't seen it in a couple of years because like I said, I've I pretty much kind of have it memorized, so it's not as fun for me to watch, but Yeah, I mean, I've seen it so many times, you know, you know it, but it it doesn't get old. I think it's always it's still hilarious. It's yeah. still funny, even though you know what's coming. Um and it has kind of everything. It has romance, comedy, adventure, right? Fantasy. It's everything kind of rolled into one movie. I think that this would be a great movie to watch with, with kids. I mean, not quite so young, probably, mm-hmm. because of the, the some of the things that are in it. But I think probably you could watch this with a kid who's like eight, nine, I would Yeah, guess. definitely. And what would be great about that, I think, would be watching the kid watch it for the first time. Right. You know? Um, this is one of those movies, like we mentioned, like Shrek and like Scrooged even, where the kids will get it, but there's some jokes that will go over their head yeah, that they get when they're older. And also because, be, unlike a lot of other movies and TV shows that we review, because most of this is a fantasy, and the part that's not, I mean, the video game looks old, but the kid is just in a bedroom. Right. With his grandpa. So and other than like the vintage bag of Cheetos that we saw, which obviously wasn't vintage at that point, um, or the the poster for Spinal Tap, it really does. It it feels like a lot of cartoons timeless. And I think that's why. Yeah, that's one of the great things about it. So for me, this is 10 out of 10 masks. A hundred percent. Yeah, I'm going to give it a 10 as well. Yeah. There's really no question. So. Ten masks out of ten. Ten out of ten masks for the Princess Bride. A kissing story. And for Hershey's Kisses, four out of five. So that brings us to... What is Steve willing to watch? Oh boy, I thought I had a break from this. No. (laughs) So, we started with a movie. Next time we're going to do a cartoon and then we'll do our live action TV show. Our cartoon was also uh, a Remy winner, I believe. Chippendale Rescue Rangers. Uh, it or was, it was it one was, of the ones it was that we discussed. We discussed it. We discussed it, and it's on Disney Plus, and so we thought it would be fun to watch. So all of these are um, like puns in some way okay. of movie titles or other things. So um, they're also it's marked on Disney Plus as season one with like fifty plus episodes. I don't know if that's accurate, but that's how they're listing it. Okay. So. Episode 7, Adventures in Squirrel Sitting. The Rangers inadvertently wreck a treehouse, home of a squirrel family. Okay. Episode 8, The Pound of the Baskervilles. (laughs) The Ranger plane crashes into Baskerville Mansion. Okay. Episode 9, Risky Beesness. Um, A lab scientist has turned a swarm of bees into zombies. Oh, okay. That's a double pun. <laughs> or episode 10, three men and a booby. Uh, they meet a rare booby bird. Okay. Or episode 12, bearing up baby instead of bringing up baby. A young camper befriends a bear. Okay. So we're going to watch the pilot and then we want to choose another one. No, we're not watching the pilot. We're not? No, because I think that it, from what I can tell... I don't think the pilot sets up the show, and I kind of had one that I was going to pick. Okay. So, 
Um, all right, so I guess the Pound of the Baskervilles. Okay, so the twist on the Sherlock yes. Holmes story, the crash, crash into the Baskerville Mansion, that is uh, episode eight, and I'm going to do chocolate chips. In a South American jungle, the cacao trees are mysteriously disappearing. Okay. I just thought that'd be fun to watch about chocolate. Definitely. And it'll be in a different... And what's interesting is even reading the titles of these, I did not remember what Chippendale Rescue Rangers really was about. I'm like, oh, that's right. Like, they have a plane and they are, like, rescuing people. So that's what's coming up next. Um, Again, links to listen you can find on our website as well as our link for our new Patreon page. We have a bonus episode this month of Some Kind of Wonderful, which we're doing for Valentine's Day. And that'll be uh, up there soon if it's not already. And uh, until next week, have a great week, everybody. Thanks for tuning in for our first episode of season two. Bye, everybody, and welcome back. Bye. Bye.